this is that part of the movie where like something epic is about to happen, you know? I'm just standing here now. I, I, I can't follow that. Yeah. Hey, I want you guys to help me test the theory today. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Um, this is going to be an all play for the ladies, all right? And there's some prizes involved. Uh, Rob's going to help me hand out a few uh, Kala Coffee House uh, coupons for free coffee. If you have this item on you, okay, in your purse or on your person in your pocket, okay? So I'm going to call some things out. You're just going to help me prove a theory here uh, real quick, and um, we'll go from there. So here, here's the first one, all right? And it's the first one that I see, okay? I, if, if I miss you, I'm sorry, uh, but first one I spot. I'm going to try to do my best. All right, here's the first one. You ready? Something to eat. Something to eat. Somebody pull out something to eat. One of the ladies, I think... Let's see. When I see it, I got to see the item. All right, over here. All right. We had something over here, too. It looks good. Okay, bring me both of those things, Rob. I want to eat them. Actually, right right there, uh, Laura, and then I think run one over there. There you go. Right. You can, you can hand those out, and we'll move to the next one. So I think Sophie and then Laura had one. All right. So something to keep the breath fresh, all right? Something for some fresh breath. It's like she anticipated that. You see that? Carol over here, she's already ready. She's like, I know he's calling gum next. Like, he's right here. All right, if somebody needs a piece of gum, you know where to find it. It's like when somebody pulls out gum in class. Like, oh, hey, you got, can I borrow a piece, have a piece of gum? Your gum is gone. You know, don't be the guy with the gum. All right, um, something for entertainment, either for you or for your kids, all right? Yeah, everybody, like, I think everybody got a coupon there. It was like, my phone, obviously. Like, that's. Uh, I, since she was the most assertive about it, we'll give it to her. Emily gets the, the uh, you give one to Emily there. Um, something for dry hands. Something for dry hands. All the way in the back, and there was a here, there, too, so we'll hook you both up. We'll get the coupon thing sorted out at some point. It'll be fine. I owe you one. All right. Good job. I feel like I might need some lotion. Can you guys bring that up? Okay. Um, this is going to be a really fast one, all right? But I'm just looking for who's like quick on the draw, all right? Something to write with. Who's got a pen? Come on. All right. Yeah. Was that behind your ear? Like you were just ready to go. That's good. You can bring one over here. That's good. All right. Let's see if anybody has this, all right? And I was really impressed with what was brought out during first hour for this. Something for an injury or first aid. A Band-Aid. <laughs> what? Does somebody hurt already? Like, there's like somebody needs a, who needs a Band-Aid? Got it. Right here. Yeah, she's like, it's got to be one of these things. That's really good. Anticipation. All right, so we got a Band-Aid one right here. We got somebody. Somebody actually had a, like, an entire roll of gauze, like, in there. Yeah, like, I'm like, this, what, like, if somebody needs a splint made, like, like on the way out of church today, like, Elizabeth uh, Hayes has you. Like, she could just splint you up. Um, all right, how about, we'll see, it. <laughs> I'm going to throw a few out there just to see. Um, a diaper, hopefully a clean one, okay, I don't want any, all right, there's a diaper right there, all right, good job. Give it the sniff test. All right, how about this, a change of clothes, like, does anybody have a change of clothes on them? Oh my goodness, <laughs> two changes, that is impressive, wow. Somebody's got like a whole outfit for themselves, like Batman, like I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. 
Well, here, here's the theory that you guys obviously helped me prove, and that is that the ladies in my life always seem to be prepared. Like, I, they're always prepared, and I, I tend to be the one that is unprepared. Um, you know, like, I, I don't have all of these items, but if my lips are chapped, if I need some lotion, if I need some gum, like, I know I just turn to my wife, and, and if she ever asks me, by the way, hey, it's in my purse, go get it, I'm like, no. I'm not digging through that thing, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to find it in there, or hey, go find me this, my it's not happening, but they know exactly where it is, and they can just, as you guys just saw, well, to, my mom especially has always been just, like, ha, has all the things that are needed, wherever we're at, whether we're at the zoo, or, where, like, she's got what is needed, like, stuff that I don't even need, realize I need, she's like, hey, we need to, you know, I just pulled out some sunscreen, like, you know, hey, you should probably put this on, like, turns out she's right, you know, uh, but to highlight my point, we were um, over here playing baseball at Heritage Oak Park the other day, Eli had a game, and my parents were bringing both Eli and Jude back, so it was me and my parents at the game, and uh, Eli's just, you know, out there on the field, like, you know, just having having a ball, and we're sitting on the sidelines, and it's simple. I thought I had smelled something, but I was like, I don't know. You know, I'd try to ignore it, you know, for a little while. It's just me and my parents there, and um, my dad kind of picks Jude up and puts him, like, up on his shoulders, and Jude goes, Papa, I'm pooping on your head. <laughs> he was in the process of it, and, like, so it's, and, and like, you know, but it was it was a lot, and uh, my dad's like, oh my, like he's like he smelled it too immediately. He just kind of takes them and like hands them to me like this, and I'm like, oh okay, like I got to deal with this. Grab him, and it's what we refer to in our house as a blowout. Like you know, there's like I got to change the diaper, and then there is. Like, I need to, like, put this kid under one of those chemical baths, like, in a laboratory. Like, this is, like, terrible. Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to take care of all this. I got him on the back of my truck, and I have him all, like, I'm trying to, like, you know, just deal with this and hold my breath and all this. And uh, I realize, like, man, oh, no, I need, like, sometimes I get into the process before I even realize what I, like, I need a diaper. I need wipes. I go into my truck. I'm like, I got to have some diapers in here, some wipes. There's got to be one diaper, like, give me a diaper. Like, I'm like, I can't find my truck has all kinds of stuff in it. Not a diaper, not a wipe. And so I'm like, what do I do? You know, I'm like, my mom is there. I'm like, that's right. Mom, like, do you, like, my dad and I both look at mom. We're like, mom, do you have a diaper, you know? And she's like, it's amazing. She's like, what size do you need? You know, like, every, like, how many, what, what kind of wipe do you, you know, the sensitive skin ones? Like, she's got them all. Like, I'm like right there, and I'm like, all right, thank you. We went through like a whole thing of wipes, got it all sorted out. But somehow, like, even when it's my responsibility, my mom is at the ready, you know? She's at the ready. And as we've been in the middle of this series called Weapons of Warfare, it's really been like Paul kind of challenging us as believers to be at the ready. And he talks about some of the items that we need to have in our arsenal to be at the ready when we find ourselves really kind of in the middle of um, what he says is a spiritual battle that we don't wrestle against um, flesh and blood. We get, wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he gives us this full thing, this full list of here's what you need to have at the ready. Here's what you need to be employing. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to Ephesians 6, I'm going to read just a segment of that. And then we're going to talk about today's item that we need to have and be continuing to cultivate and use. It says this, this is Paul to the Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand um, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist, and then having, and what we're going to talk about today, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so last week, Stephen talked about this first piece of armor that really provides the stability for everything else, and that's the belt of truth. And today we're going to talk a little bit about this other thing that Paul is calling us to have and continue to utilize that God has given us, which is the breastplate of righteousness. And so if you'll allow me for just a little bit, I want to talk about what Paul is actually describing here when he's talking about this breastplate of righteousness. What does he mean by this righteousness, and what is important? What are some important descriptions of this righteousness that guards, um, that guards us? And so the first thing is this, and this is maybe somewhat obvious when you think about um, this, what Paul is illustrating here. Now, if you saw last week, Stephen had given this um, image of, and I don't have it today, but this image of a Roman soldier. And he said, as Paul was writing this, and he was writing this in prison, he would have been, he would have seen this object lesson right in front of him of a Roman soldier and what the Roman soldier had um, to be battle ready, all of the items that he had uh, with him. And so last week, Stephen talked about this belt that really was essential to hold the entire rest of the garment together. Without the belt, it didn't matter what else you had on because it wasn't going to be stabilized. And so he talked about how the truth really serves to stabilize everything else. And so if the word for truth is stability, the word for righteousness, I would say, is vitality. Here's what I mean. True righteousness protects what is most vital. And you think about what a breastplate covers, it covers this central region, really the core that is susceptible, that is vulnerable, and ultimately it's talking about the heart, that it protects the heart. It protects the vital organs, most notably the heart. And why is that important? Well, the heart, as we know, is described in the Bible as our, our source of life. It's where vitality comes from. Physically, yes, but in this sense, spiritually speaking. That this is where our true life comes from. It is a life source. It is a life center. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, one of the things the enemy likes to do is he likes to corrupt our heart. He likes to pollute our heart. He likes to use some different things to impact our heart. And one of those things is, is, is shame. One of those things is guilt. I had a conversation this week, and one of the things I've loved about Kala is just getting the ability to just kind of sit out there, and, you know, it's cool because these spiritual conversations just have their way of, like, making their way to me, you know, even when I'm not seeking them out, and conversations will start, and God will kind of position me to have various conversations. In this past week, uh, I got to talking with this girl um, who was really kind of wrestling with some stuff, dealing with some stuff. She loves Jesus and has just been dealing with essentially just some things that she just feels like she's, she isn't quite amounting up on, some things that, you know, she just essentially was just 
beating herself up about, the things that she's like not doing well enough, and I just need to do better at this, that, or the other, or, or and it's all this whole list of things, and it's, I listened, I just kind of leaned in, and, and just listened, and at some point in time, I finally, like, as she kind of was listening through just all this stuff that, like, she just felt like she was falling short on, I, I told her, I, I said, I think you need to give yourself some grace. Like, I hear what you're saying, and I'm all for conviction. I'm all for growing. I'm all for the ways that the Holy Spirit uses to propel us forward. But all of the, the what you're describing to me right now, and even the tone in which you're describing it to me, let me just be honest with you. You're not coming from a place of conviction. You're coming from a place of condemnation. And I think that maybe some of us in this room are in that same place today. And I said, you know, the truth is, and, and quite frankly, I told her this is a scripture that I've had to re- remind myself of quite often, even recently. And I said, here, just listen to this. This is, this is the word of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I was just being fun. I was like, but except for what you're talking about, right? Because... No, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And all of us right now are thinking about that, that one thing, that like, wait, but what about that? Or we're thinking about ourselves, but, but not about me. Like, if God really knew that there's certainly condemnation for me, but for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. What does the enemy like to make you do? Feel like you're still bound? He likes to bind you with things like shame and guilt. For what the law was powerless to do, though, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of the sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What Paul is saying here to the Romans is, listen, you are a people of the Spirit. You're continuing to strive from the flesh. You're continuing to try to earn it through the flesh. But you are a people of the Spirit. Friends, perhaps you have some guilt today. Perhaps you've been beating yourself up about something. Perhaps the enemy has you convinced that you are unworthy of God's immeasurable love. Remind yourself and the enemy of this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His grace is sufficient, yes, even for you. Yes, even for that. Don't let guilt and condemnation occupy your heart. Again, conviction is a good thing, but what's the difference between conviction and condemnation, conviction moves you forward. Conviction inspires you to, to live out the virtues of Christ and step into the things that God desires for you. Condemnation, on the other hand, guilt leaves you in bondage. It keeps you paralyzed. It doesn't allow you to move forward in pursuit of Jesus. It keeps you constantly stuck. Whether it's a self-condemnation or it's a condemnation from the enemy, it all has the same result, and it, it keeps you living in that sin. It keeps you stuck and paralyzed. But God absolved our guilt by sending his son so we don't live by fleshly power. We now live by the Spirit's power so we can remind him there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remind yourself of that too. Which really connects to the next point, which is this. True righteousness is not of our own making. It's not of our own making. There's uh, an excerpt out of uh, Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, where he talks about 
um, this moment during this British conference on comparative religions where these experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. After a while of debate and little consensus, who else but C.S. Lewis walked into the room and he kind of asked the question, well, what's all the rumpus about? He heard that the debate was about Christianity and what it had to offer uh, among the other world religions, and he just simply responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. After some discussion, everyone had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seemed to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, in the Muslim code of the law, each of these offer ways to earn approval, to create our own righteousness, to make our own way to God. Only in Christianity does God make his way to us. Only in Christianity is God's love an unconditional kind of love. It's not tied to our righteousness. I mean, imagine that. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I can tell you right now, I've worked with all my might. As much as this seems like I've, I've known this reality, grown up in the church, I've known this reality, it's still instinctual for me to try to build my own breastplate of righteousness out of my own righteous deeds, right, to strive with all my might, to try with all my might, and to feel like I'm perpetually falling short. I've tried to construct my own breastplate of righteousness out of these things, and it's like I bring it before God. I'm like, God, look at all the, the good stuff I've done, you know? And I sort of show him this breastplate that I've made and ends up being some, like, ratty shawl that, like, has got holes all in it, and it's just, you know, a dirty mess, and I'm like, this is the best I got. And it's like God just kind of looks down at like all those efforts. He's like, that's cute. I mean, it's, it's cute. It really is. But would you like to try mine now? Would you like to try mine? You ever heard that phrase where there's a will, there's a way? That might work for a lot of things. And I certainly live by it in a lot of things. But when it comes to righteousness, here's the reality that Scripture teaches. It doesn't matter how strong the will, there is no way. Well, that's disappointing, right? That's a, if we just ended the message there, that'd be really kind of a sad way to end. There is no way. Well, it doesn't matter how strong the will, there is no way. The Bible says not one is righteous, right? Benjamin Franklin thought he'd give it a try, though, and in 1726, at the age of 20, Ben Franklin set his loftiest goal, the attainment of moral perfection. 20-year-olds, am I right? I mean, I was like, I, was like, I think I'm just gonna go for moral perfection. Like, let's just... Let's go for that. I mean, this is a quote from me. I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. I wish to live without committing any fault at any time. I would conquer all that either natural inclination, custom, or company might lead me into. I mean, I got to respect the guy, you know, for like, like that is such a, like a, what a good goal, you know, what a lofty goal. 
And what he did was he kept a daily chart of 13 virtues, things like temperance, silence, chastity, order, moderation, humility. I mean, really a lot of great values and virtues. And what he would do was he would just make a mark if he somehow fell short of that particular value. And he'd like make a big, you know, and the goal was to get to the, eventually the place where there was no marks left on the page, you know, that it was just. Now, I respect the goal and I respect, certainly respect the values themselves, but spoiler alert, it didn't work. <laughs> he made improvements, sure, but he fell far short of perfection. And any of us that know our own sinful nature and our own imperfection know that that is an impossible task to do on our own power. It was the right goal. It was the right values. It was the wrong approach. You know, the Bible offers a different route to righteousness. It's through dependence on God, not determination of self. That's what leads to true, right, to true virtue and righteousness. So where there is a will, there is a way works for many things in life. But when it comes to righteousness, the Bible teaches it is the surrendered will that is the way. It's the surrendered will. It's the surrendered will that is the real route to righteousness. It's the point that we lay down that ratty breastplate of righteousness at the feet of Jesus and say, this isn't working. Let me try yours now. Isaiah 30, 15 reminds us of another truth. It says, for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. It turns out, contrary to what I've tried to do, it's not through exerting and determination, right, that I shall be saved. It's in returning and rest. Let me say it one more way in case you missed it. Righteousness is not something that we have to strive for. It's something we live from. It's already been given to us through Christ. And my hope is that that just allows you to rest in some freedom today. Not so that you can use that freedom as a cover-up for evils, but so that you can truly live up to the life that God has in store for you. And when the enemy tries to burden you with guilt and condemnation, you say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I'm free to live for him now fully and completely. Here's the next thing that's true about righteousness. It goes beyond what can be seen. When you go into a battle, I'm just guessing here, if I gave you two breastplates and I said, this one's really bedazzled, super fashionable, but it's made of styrofoam. Okay, it looks really cool though, like you'll be stylish out there, I promise. But then I gave you one that was like just pure steel and like, obviously that would be heavy. Whatever they made them out of, you know, or make them. But like, it's got substance. Nothing is coming through this thing. It's an impenetrable thing. It's, would you want the one that's fashionable or do you want the one that's functional? If you're really going into battle, well, obviously you would want the one that's functional. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that, hey, he specifically is calling out the religious leaders of the time. He's like, guys, listen, I know they've got some kind of fashionable, flashy sort of righteousness going on here that, that you can see on the outside, you know, and they're sure to let you know about it. But he's like, your righteousness must, ex must exceed that of the Pharisees. This is what he teaches them. And then he goes on to teach the entire Sermon on the Mount, to teach them about what true righteousness is. And he says things like, hey, listen, I know that you've heard it said you should not commit adultery or you shouldn't murder, but let's take that a step further. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman, woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. You've heard it said don't murder. I tell you that if you harbor anger against your brother, you're already guilty. 
And so he calls out the righteousness of the Pharisees. He says, your, your righteousness must exceed the external righteousness of the, the Pharisees. It can't just be flashy. It's got to be of true substance. The irony is these guys were experts in the law. If anybody knew the rules, it was these guys. They knew the rules. They knew right and wrong. They knew what choices should be made. There was nobody that knew more about righteousness. There was nobody who even appeared more righteous probably in a lot of ways. But Jesus saw right through them, and he said their, their righteousness was an external righteousness. And, in, and ultimately, in a lot of ways, it was a self-righteousness. It looked good on the outside, but it was counterfeit. I got into this show, like, the other day, and, like, I was just on Netflix with the boys, and, like, we're sitting down, and, like, I don't watch it. I say I got into it, but I got into, like, one episode, and, but I I got, there's, like, one of those ones where, like, the trailer got me. Like, it starts, Netflix just starts playing the trailer, and I'm like, oh, you got me. Like, I'm, and now I'm invested. Like, the premise is very simple. I don't want to get you hooked on this thing, but the show is called Is It Cake? This is the entire, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I've watched like a thousand episodes of that. Like, it's all the same. What they do is like these incredible bakers make these cakes that are just like everyday, they look like everyday items. They're just like things that like, and, and you look at it, you're like, oh, man, you got to decide which one's the cake. Like, this is, they all look real. Like, how could any of these be cake? And then they, they, they'll, like, you guess, and then they cut into it, and it's like, that one is cake or whatever. And you're like, whoa, like, how is that even cake? I'll give you an example. So here, see if you can guess them. The one on the left or the one on the right? How many think it's the one on the left? All right, you're good. That's the cake, right? Okay, that's the cake on that one. What about this one? This one, I think, is a little more obvious. The one on the right. Yeah, but, I mean, I almost could put that shoe on. Like, I'm like... Wait a minute, that's a little bit squishy. That's cake. That's cake on the inside. What about this one? How many of you think it's the one on the left? What about the one on the right? All right, about half of you got it right. It's the one on the right. Like, look at all those, like, $100, I mean, like counterfeit $100 bills out of cake. Like, I, I, I don't even know how they do it, but it's really impressive. You go home and watch it. Don't waste too much time. But here's the question. It might look like cake on the outside, but is it cake? Yes. <laughs> Where are you going with this? If, if our inner life was exposed, what would it reveal? It might look good on the outside, but if your inner life was really exposed, what would it reveal? Many of us, many of us have become good at acting righteous, but we know, and those that know us best might be able to see right through that. Back to the breastplate analogy, do you want... One that's flashy, or do you want one that's actually functional? God's righteousness is actually functional. He wants to do an inside work. He wants to do a deep work. He wants to start there, and then that inner righteousness produce something on the outside. And here's where this really, the rubber meets the road. This is where our effort does come into place, and we do invest our energies, and that is this. True righteousness is something we must continually put on. While it's not our own, we do put it on. We do have a part to play in that. And like the rest of the armor we're discussing, it's something that we have at our disposal, but we just continually put it on. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
Putting on righteousness is an ongoing process of putting on Christ. It's his righteousness. The more we fill ourselves with him, the more he naturally flows out of us. And that's how we get there. Bob Goff had this thing he would do where he would carry a bucket around. It was really based on this children's book. Um, And ultimately, the idea was that the bucket sort of was a reminder to him of the kinds of things that he was filling his life with. And so he would kind of have, you know, like he'd be like, you know what, I I really need a little bit more patience. And so I'm just going to wear this around, literally like a metal bucket around my neck and walk around. And like people would be like, what's wrong with that guy? You know, like what is he doing? But he had this bucket that he would carry around and it reminded him. And so he said this, he said, he talked about how this children's book kind of changed everything for him. And he said, we will become in our lives what we put in our buckets. And so we can either fill our bucket with good stuff such as love will become love, or we can fill our bucket with negative stuff such as pride, selfishness, or impatience, and become a difficult person to get along with, to say the least. Galatians 6, 8 through 10 says this, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those that are the household of faith. One final story as we conclude today. Last week was a really cool week. Um, We had the opportunity, if you were here during second hour, to baptize a guy named Wayne. And uh, Wayne is actually a guy that just started going to our church not too long ago, a couple months ago, connected with Colleen over at Kala Coffee House. And uh, their family has been going through a lot of stuff. Uh, Wayne has... um, been um, diagnosed with MS that's you know it was a very difficult form of it that he's battling he actually just texted me uh, while we were in here asking for prayer because a blessing is that he's going to get this opportunity to go do these infusions up at Cleveland Clinic to hopefully hope help slow uh, the course of, of this MS but um, these guys walked into the coffee shop one day and Colleen just started having a conversation with them and um, it was a really cool thing she just kind of felt like she needed to give them an invitation to access. She brought this card over and said, hey, I, f- I really feel like I'm supposed to give you this. And sure enough, they showed up to church and they've been coming. And um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, I offered an invitation um, to, for anybody to come forward for prayer or to receive Jesus. And uh, he, he walks up to me just with just tears in his eyes. And he just, he just looked me right in the face and he just said, the opportunity to pray with him, and uh, I mean, you guys got to see what God's doing in his life, which is an incredible thing. And here's what I want to say to you as we conclude. Righteousness begins with three little words. I need him. I need him. When we can finally get to that place where we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that on our own power, we're nothing, we can do nothing. We can plug along for a while, but eventually we run out of steam and we realize that we need him. And so I want to offer that same invitation that offered to Wayne, that same invitation that God offers to you, that invitation that's always available, but there's no need to wait on it. Because at some point in your life, you're going to realize that you really do need him. You really do. 
And so if it's making that decision for the first time to say, I need Jesus, I have been kind of running on a path sort of next to him for a long time, or, or maybe you've sort of kind of diverted and gone in your own direction for a while, and you're starting to realize that maybe that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Or maybe you're just like, you know what, I'm just, this is a season of life where I just cannot continue to carry on on my own power and just have that same line that God hears each and every time you say it, which is just, I, I need you. I need you. When we acknowledge our need for Christ, we hand over our own righteousness and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to try yours on for a while. No longer does God see our imperfection, even though we are so far from perfect. Instead, he sees Jesus and his perfect righteousness. So maybe just in your own chair, maybe you want somebody to pray with you. I'll be back in the back. You just want to whisper those words. I need you. I need you. God, we, we come to you now, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this day where we honor the mothers in the room. We thank you, God, for just what you are to us, who you are to us. We thank you, God, that you never give up on us. As much as we get lost, as much as we get confused, as much as we get turned around, at any moment in time, God, we can walk right back, look you in the eyes and just say, God, I need you. And I just pray, God, for those that right now in their hearts want to pray that prayer or want to say that to you, God, that you would free up their spirit to do so. It's such a freeing thing to do. And God, we acknowledge that before you today. We give you thanks for your goodness. We give you thanks for your righteousness. Help us to continue to put that on each and every day, we pray in Jesus' name.